Call me Jack. Call you Jack. And it's, um, how do I pronounce, what is it? Is it? It's Joaquin. Joaquin. You know, like Joaquin Phoenix? Th- yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Right. Um, I'm so stupid. You obviously yeah. don't watch movies. Huh? <laughs> I'm so, I, dude. I live under a cultural. We talked about that. I live under a cultural rock. But it's. I'm so stupid that I was. I, I showed my mom. I was like, I'm having him on tomorrow. And she goes, Oh, Joaquin. And I go, Oh, I thought it was Joaquin. And she looked at me and she. she How old are you? I was like, I'm 30. And I was like, Yeah, it's like the actor Joaquin. And she was like, Good lord in heaven. <laughs> and so I get these calls now. Now telemarketers, I get Joe Kwan. Joe Kwan. That's the new one now. Joe Kwan. I could see it. I could see Joe Kwan. So, hey, listen, you can call me anytime. Anything you want. So, I can't do your introduction just. I did watch that video you sent me, the Daily Motion video, which I'll link in. I'll link in the description. That ending. That <clears throat> ending gave me chills. Because if they do come from me, they better come in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, that helps if you got five pit bulls and a stock full of weapons, right? <laughs> Absolutely, you better have an armory, man. But. Before we before we dive into it further, how about you introduce yourself? Because I'm not going to be able to do you justice. All right. Simply, uh, my name is uh, Jack Garcia. I was born in Havana, Cuba. I uh, came to this country when I was nine years old. Uh, lived in socialism or slash communism for nearly three years. I uh, came to America with just uh, clothes on our back. And uh, from then on, learned how to speak English. Took me some time. Went into high school, played college, uh, high school football, fortunate enough to get scholarships. From then on, I started trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I saw the movie Serpico with Al Pacino. And there's this, you know, Al Pacino, cool guy, a beard, long head, living in the village, driving a motorcycle with a good looking chick in the back. And to add to that, he had a sheepdog. I mean, where do I sign up for being a cop, right? <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately for me, it was back in the 70s when they were taking all kinds of uh, cuts to NYPD. So I didn't really know what to do. I floundered. I applied for all the federal agencies, got a job as a cop in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and boom, the FBI came. And I was just delighted. Uh, I did have to become a citizen first. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to me, I thought, you know, that was not I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. And what happened was I was watching Univision. And I saw this non-native Spanish speaker butchering the Spanish language. And he's saying, we're looking for Spanish speakers in the FBI. So I immediately called the FBI. I said, dude, man, I've already put my application a long time ago. I haven't heard from you guys. He gets back to me the next day and he says, because you're not a citizen. Uh So I went and forward and I got became a citizen in 1976. And then I went through this scrutiny background investigation because I am born in Cuba. And after I got in the Bureau, I requested Freedom of Information Act and found all these CIA reports saying that in as much as that he's Cuban, the possibility of a mole could exist. Mm-hmm. So I dragged on all of this series of polygraph, et cetera. Next thing you know, in 1980, I became an agent. I was trying to find my niche. Originally, I want to start getting involved in bank robbery, fugitives, some like terrorism with the Cuban anti-Castro group. And then the FBI started working narcotics in the early 80s. And boom, here I am in natural. I got, you know, a Spanish speaker and uh, a guy who grew up in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Bronx. So, you know, I didn't kind of represent the uh, the demographics of the FBI, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
is usually everybody there. Uh, you know, I didn't mirror those demographics. Uh, they all looked the same. They wore three-piece suits mm-hmm. and all that. And I came along. So I was very lucky to start working on the cover work. And that kind of became my little niche. Uh, yeah. I worked 24 out of my 26 years solely dedicated to working on the cover. <clears throat> Excuse me. I worked over 100 uh, major on the cover operations and countless buy bus, street buys, doing all these kinds of deals, mostly in the world of uh, narcotics. Uh, from then, I moved on to do other investigations, Russian cases, Asian organized crime, murder for hires, political corruption, police corruption. And then finally, somebody said, hey, I think we can get you to pose as an Italian. And I think you could infiltrate the Gambino crime family. So then I said, I'll have what you're drinking. Yeah. You know, because that just uh, that was caught me off guard. You know, I eat black beans and rice, maduros yeah. and yeah. all the Cuban food. Now I got to eat pasta. You know, yeah. not that I'm complaining, you know, but <laughs> it's something I had to do. Yeah. So I got in working undercover and uh, the case was over. We took down a lot of gangsters and we kind of shamed them in as much as that, you know, uh, I'm a, a Cuban born guy posing an Italian. Got so close that actually was uh, being proposed for membership yes. to become a made man. Yes. And uh, afterwards, uh, I guess I uh, did 26 years. I was getting a little tired. I want to retire to 20, then 25, 26. I said, you know what? I'm passing the baton. I wanted somebody else to come up and start, you know, doing what I was doing. I had enough and I wanted to dedicate my time with my family since I just had a recent, uh, uh, my daughter was born in the year 2000. Okay. So I retired in 2006. I got a lot of book offers and it kind of, in hindsight, I laughed because you know, here I am, been working dopers, you know, the Mexican cartel, Dominicans. I've been working Cubans. I've been working Colombians. And they are more violent. They generate more money. And yet, you don't see too much of it. I remember taking down tons of cocaine and not even make the newspaper. But you arrest one wise guy who's 70 years old, you got front page news. So, I mean, it's insane how Hollywood and the media is obsessed with organized crime. And yet, those really bad guys are out there. And don't get me wrong, these guys are bad guys by all means. But why overlook, why are we overlooking that other serious problem? It should have the same type of, uh, uh, of uh, targeting yes. as they do with uh, the traditional organized crime guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and that yeah. kind of sums it up. And here I am with you, Tom. <laughs> and here we are. Thank yeah, you. you for- I'm sorry. Yes, be my name. You go by Thomas because if you, when I was out in the streets, you'd be Tommy. Yo, Tommy, what's I'm, up? I'm Tommy. Most people know me as Tommy, <laughs> but it all, all it, right. it all depends on what I'm going by, right? Family, Tom, right? Ninety nine percent of people, Tommy. Got to be professional, college shirt, Thomas, right? <laughs> right. If I just, yeah. Right. Yeah, and your parents, Tom, it's just like my parents, Joaquin. Yeah, you know? yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Everyone always asks me they're like, "What do you prefer to go by?" And like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I never really thought about it. I don't, I don't really care. I don't know. Just, I just generally look in my direction and yell. Yeah, it's, but it's so. I've I've had a guy on here before, Paul Whitcomb, um, episode ninety six, who helped uh, rejected the final plea offer by John Wayne Gacy to get him. Uh, give him the lethal injection and uh he and i've become good friends over the last four or five months 
and he he is very he's a brilliant guy as a lawyer in Chicago, but he's a bit, really big historian on the Chicago outfit. And um, I texted him last night, and I was like, "Hey, Paul, I was like, look who I'm having on." Well, after he came on this podcast, he and some friends started a podcast because they got so hyped oh, up nice. on it. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sent me a link. And it wasn't Paul, but it was his friend. And it's you with him. He goes, yeah, we already had him on. And I was like, you just stole my thunder, man. I was like, I was I was just going to slide it in there. I was like, hey, Paul, look who I'm having on. He goes, oh, yeah, he's a cool guy. I talked to him. And I was like, I was like fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> who was it? Is that the one with John Tui? Yes, yes. Yes, a great guy. John yeah. Tui is a great author. And uh, actually, I was in his show with Paul and a couple of the other guys. Yeah. But Tui uh, has written quite a few books on on organized. In fact, I think he's taken over Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Facebook is some kind of new page. Yeah, killers, very clowns, man. very smart man. Yeah, killers, clowns, and uh... yeah, it just goes on and on. I just read the beginning, new page, an invitation. Then I look at it and I say, killers, clowns, clowns, and I go, hope I'm not in this thing, you know? <laughs> well, that's misfits, miscreants. Yeah, yes, you know, yes. I... it's the whole. <laughs> I'll link that too for anyone interested. Yeah, it's my buddy Paul. And I was like, man, I was like, I'm about to blow this guy away. And I <laughs> sent it to him, and I was just like, you know, cracking my knuckles. And I was like, I got because uh, the other week I had on uh, uh, Charlie Duke, the youngest man to ever walk on the moon, one of That's four amazing. men alive. Wow. Well, I sent That's... that to all my friends that work in like NASA, right? And you know, oh, holy shit! And you know, I'm brushing the dirt <laughs> off my shoulders. Well, That's what I thought I was going to do last night with Paul. I was like, hey, Paul, you know, check it out. Oh, just nothing. Oh yeah, he's a neat, he's a neat guy. I was like. I was like, you backstabbing son of a bitch. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. thanks for the recommendation. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, well, I need to get an episode with Paul in here with you. But, um, yeah, so just listening to that, that 13 minute uh, bit you sent me is, yeah, it's, you're going through about like the small mannerisms and things that, and one, another one of the lines that kind of, I'm an anxious person just in general. And, anything makes me anxious really i'll call someone and then i'll get anxious that they're gonna pick up like why the hell did i even call them but you're talking about in there and you're like you know the sopranos you can do a couple takes and you're like with this you go there's there's one take that's it that is true that that and that is the thing about undercover you know i've actually taught in the undercover school at the fbi yeah and also where there is invitations with people from foreign police departments that come and of course, there are different laws governing undercover type work. France has what they call provocateurs yes. or something like yes. Inspector Clouseau or yeah. something. Oh. You know? but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, but it, it, it's kind of funny when you do these schools is I know the FBI had a big influx of applicants when the movie Silence of the Lambs came out. Yes. Everybody wanted to get in the behavioral science unit. You know, and now they watched Donnie Brasco came out a long time ago and they hear about undercovers. And that's not the way it works. You know, undercover work is not somewhere that you could go to a school and be taught this art. Yeah. This art is something you're born with, Tommy. You yeah. know, it's something that we gather in the streets. We learn how to chuck and jive. We learn how to get along with people. We know, learn how to survive, how to get our way. This, uh, you know, let's say a guy from maybe Midwest, he may not be exposed to the elements that we get exposed. Maybe he's not that outgoing. Maybe he's not like a chameleon. Maybe he's not comfortable around people that maybe he's not used to being around with or environments that he's not used to be around. So these are things that are traits. And if you think you can go to school, those people usually flunk out. This is nothing you could teach somebody. You could fine tune it, but you certainly can't 
teach it. You're not going to okay. come out of there and say, okay, I'm ready now to determine the psych of John Gacy, the killer, yeah. because of A, B, and C. Yeah. No, this requires a lot of, you know, quick reaction and action, yeah. you know, where somebody puts you in a situation. How are you going to cope with that? How are you going to make that life decision? How are you not going to give yourself up? What are you going to do if somebody you know approaches you and says, Tommy, what are you doing? How are things in the FBI? So these are things that you naturally, I mean, yeah. you can learn as far as ways of doing it, but it's more like what you know on the street. Yeah. So what I had to do is I think I was blessed from my upbringing that I had where having grown in New York <clears throat> and my personality is outgoing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said, and it's right, when you do undercover work, there are never any second takes. None. Um, the only time there's a second take is if you finish your undercover and you realize your recorder is not on and now you say to yourself in today's world and climate because early on when you started undercover work an fbi agent stood in court and said this is what happened and it didn't happen this way now that's because back then it's a different time nowadays when you go to court defense attorneys are going to come for the jugular they're going to try to make you look bad they look stupid. No one's going to believe you. So what better way to do it is, is wear a recorder. I always believe that the uh, evidence against a criminal defendant, are, the best evidence for criminal defendants are their own words. So it's indefensible if you catch Joey Bag of Donuts saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Or yeah. I did that. Yes. Where me standing there and saying it in court, it's not going to fly. So there is the time that you do the second take is when you say that's the oh shit moment. Oh, it didn't come out. So what do you do is you go back the next time you see them and you try to recap what you discussed. And that's where it takes experience mm -hmm. cleverly. So now you can capture it again yeah. because otherwise picture yourself in court. Agent uh, Tom's uh, you I see here. You met this guy 20 times, 20, 19 times were recorded. But yet, on this one here, you said that he said this and he said that. Now, why wasn't that recorded? Okay, where is that? So, you know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're hurting yourself by not recording that person's own word. So, if you don't capture that word, if you put on, you got some really incriminating stuff, you're going to try to recapture it tape it and of course now now you have something hmm. otherwise that other one is going to be tough to navigate in the courts and yeah how do you yeah how, how do you i guess like you said yeah it's like it's a, a learned you know street smarts versus book smarts because if you got to get them to say the same thing again how do you do that without just the most obvious hey could you say that i mean what do you, do you come in do you just you know, say you were hung over there. Say you're hang hung over. You're drunk. You don't remember. You bring it up again. Do you feign stupidity? That, that's what? a that's listen. That's a possibility. But also, you don't bring up things when you're on the cover. You have to look at the whole package. You have to look at the person you're talking to. Evaluate their uh, body language. You know, you're not going to have somebody who's on a defense and you're going to start hitting them with A, B, C, D. Yeah. You know, because like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You know, yeah. are you recording me? What's up here? You know. So what you have to do is you got to dance. Yeah. It's a dance. You got to find out where you can sneak it. Hey, remember yesterday, Tommy, you said this. I was thinking about that last night. You know, what, what, do you, what is it that, 
you're talking about. I'm, you know, you try to do it in a non-threatening, non-kind of uh, you trying to get the information because the last thing you want is that person to say, whoa, 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 what is going on? Now, when it deals with somebody whacking somebody, killing somebody, there are rules in the mob that specifically say, once that bullet leaves the gun, you never talk about it. The only person who could ask that question is the boss of the family. So me going to you, if you come up to me and say, hey, you know, Jackie boy, guess what? I whacked uh, a Vinny bag of donuts yesterday. So then, you know, what am I going to say? So then I can't go back to you and ask you because now you, then I start smelling. Yeah. You know, I start smelling. So therefore, you may have lost that opportunity. Yeah. So it is a dance <clears throat> that you cover. I have the allergies. Don't, no, you you're know. fine. Um, so it is a dance that you want. play with the subject, trying to get the information that you can. Now, that's my preference. There are a lot of undercovers who choose not to wear for whatever reason, and I'm not going to say anything against that for wearing a recorder. And some of them, of course, they don't want to get caught with it. And all I get all that. There's a lot of chance of that possibility. But when you should wear a recorder or when you wear a recorder is that usually you got to feel comfortable with the person. And that, and that is a very important thing, uh, Tom. And I'll give you an example is if right now I'm talking to you and you decide to pat me down. Yeah. Okay. Cause maybe you suspect that I'm a rat. Yeah. Or maybe that I'm recording you. Okay. Now you don't find anything on me. The, is your, um, feelings about me or what you think about me is that going to go away no you did it for a reason you tapped me down for a reason so i always felt that if that person ever was going to do that for you to it's a violation of trust okay you know what i mean yeah when we don't go to a bad guy and say hey are you wearing a wire let me check underneath your shirt let me grab your cojones you know things you don't do so wearing a wire is dangerous people don't choose to wear for whatever reason i respect that you know that's their call to do but i did it the easy way because i felt that if i had the wire on i could get the guy yeah yeah and that's why i chose to wear a wire yeah it's yeah i never thought about that you're right there's like a certain it's like if you're gonna like bluff if you're gonna lie like go in go in and embrace the whole thing like if they pat you down and they don't find anything, yeah, you're right. That, that feeling's not going away. They're probably just going to shoot you while you're sleeping. So it's just like, right. go it's all a, in. Distrust, right. They have yeah. a distrust for you. And so, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, luckily in all the cases and people have it done, that's never happened to me. Now, why? Maybe it's my size. Yeah. I am an intimidating guy. Yeah. I admit it. I'm a four. huge guy, especially after Sunday dinners. <laughs> but... maybe they fear that but also i always looked at that as a double-edged sword because as big as i am if let's say for instance i'm going to get whacked for some reason or other yeah now somebody's going to whack me maybe i'll say before i get whacked i'm going to say whoa whoa wait a minute guys look i'm an fbi special agent undercover okay you i got guys outside you guys are going to get killed you can't do that now picture this they're going to probably say, well, what if this guy's telling the truth? No, no freaking way this guy is an FBI. He don't look like an FBI agent. So they call and find out, like, yeah, there's no FBI agent who's 6'4", 390 pounds. It just doesn't exist. 
So they would then say, let's whack him. This guy is a rat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So as much as it got me in, it could also have taken me out. Yes. Because of your size and all of, uh, and all of that. But, yeah. you know, it, it's a reality. I used my tools of my trade. My toolbox consisted of my size. Yes. You know, it consisted of my way of talking to people was mm. my outgoing personality. Yes. Try to diffuse them not be because you know i never go into an undercover like a badass i'm not luca brazzi yeah because once you're up here you can't go down yeah but you could be friendly say hey i could kick it up turn it up we got issues let's talk about those issues but that's how i did it. i kind of kept an even keel to who i am yeah six four three ninety that's awesome you should see my sister. Oh, forget about it. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, yeah. I'm only kidding. My sister's <laughs> side. She's, she's going to whack you now. Yeah, it's, exactly. That's, yeah, I never thought about that, but it makes it makes sense. It's, now, I was going to say, do you do you play poker? Do you uh, I used to, not that much. Well, I was just Yeah, like, I, I, but I bet I... When I do play, yes, I'm very good in hiding my cards. I was about to say, no, it seems like you like, because in general, it just seems like you like to gamble. That seems like a, like a person that, you know, like I've had on guys on this podcast that are from Delta Force. And at a certain point, like talking to them and like researching Delta Force, you realize you're like, these guys could go do anything they wanted. They chose to live at the tip of the spear because it's unlike anything else in the world, right? These guys are smart enough to get into Delta Force. They could go be a lawyer, a doctor, go make more money doing less work. That's not why they're in it. They're, well, they're in it because they love America, but they're also in it because, like, hey, man, it's, you know, it's you're Spartan. I feel yeah, like. Yeah, but see, I, I, my thing is, and God bless the Delta Force guys <laughs> and all of that. I, I mean, I love the military and all. I, for why I was in it was for the high. That's what I I'm mean, saying. It's an adrenaline that, well, rush. That's what I'm saying. That's why I said, do you like gambling? Because I'm like, I'm like, this guy. I hope you don't mind if I cuss, by the way. Some guests no, don't like it. Ahead, so I, I realized you were in the game. Yeah, you were almost made in the game. What do you think the mobsters I was about curse? to say. They're, they're, they, yeah. you know, they're like, Just pardon me, sir. Get the fuck out of here. I'll smack you. Yeah. Well, well, jeepers, guys. He might be in the FBI. He, he, swo- he swoozled us. No, they're like, this motherfucker. I'm yeah, going to skull fuck this dumb bitch, right? It's... Right? I'm telling you, it's funny. I almost got a master's degree. My wife says to me, you sound like a Gavon. I said, you talk like, you know, every other word is F this, yeah. mofo, that. And, and it took me a long time to get out of that yeah. mindset. When you're in this role, you come out and I'm and I'm talking with double negatives, triple negatives sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Pro. Hey, you can't do what I can't do. You, you thought, can't do what you know? I say you never can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's it's all the thing, and then you know, and it's all like central casting. But yeah. so getting back on your question, mine was oh, an adrenaline high. Is, uh, yeah, it gambling. Like I, I I love the fact of being in front of a bad guy. Yeah. You know, like he's a drug dealer, yeah. he's a murderer, he's a dirty cop. Yeah. He's a monster, and you're there, and you you're having maybe a drink, and you toast the guy, and you lift your glass up, and your hand ain't shaking, and you're looking him in the eye. And and he's buying your shit. Yeah, he's yeah. buying what I'm telling him. Yeah, I mean, how beautiful is that's, that? Yeah. That's better than heroin. I that's, don't know what heroin tastes like, but damn, yeah, it's got to be better than that. Yeah, to me, that was like Woody time, bro. Yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. There's nothing else in the world that's like that, right? It's yes. That's, another guy, Andy Stumpf, who's been on Joe Rogan. He's a former SEAL Team Six guy. Rogan's like, why do you like that? And he's like, because when you're 
when the pilot of the helicopter is like 30 seconds out, 20 seconds out, 10 seconds out. He's like, you can like see each grain of sand moving. He was like, you're not thinking about your bill and your mortgage and your son's graduating kindergarten. He's like, he's like, you just see like the, the choppers moving. And he's like, and you can just, I mean, you're shooting an automatic, but you can see the individual. And he's like, it's just nothing else like that. And that's what, that's why I asked if you gambled. I'm like, this guy, and that's when I asked if you'd mind if I cussed. I'll say, this motherfucker, he, you, this guy, yeah, you like to go all in. You're right, yeah, no, fuck meth, fuck heroin. It's like, that's, I mean, that's yeah, why a lot of, It was yeah. a natural high, but, yeah. you know, same, I guess, with the military, you're right. It's a, you know, uh, it, it's just a feeling that, that you love, and that's what you do. Sometimes you get an undercover, and you got a guy who says, yeah, I worked this case, maybe a couple of cases. But, you know, when you get the hardcore guys who've done this for a long time, guys like Jay Dobbins. Lou Veloz, Vince Cephalos, you know, they're guys, of course, in the FBI that have done this where this is all you do. It, it's We didn't use this as a platform to become a boss. We didn't do this as a platform. This is just what we like doing. We were just regular street guys that yeah. lived off the high, you know, yeah. to us. Yeah, okay, what do you got? It was like a chess game, yeah. too. Like, here I am, I'm working, I'm working one day posing as a Cuban drug dealer. Then I'm posing as a mobster. Then I'm posing as a Colombian. Then I'm posing as a either a drug dealer, money launderer, warehouse guy, hitman. All of these roles it were just like, you know, like a method act. Yeah, yeah. Which is in essence what you do. You get into your role and just like in, in Seinfeld, yeah. with George Costanza, the guy says, well, you're not an architect. And he says, I'm not? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. a drug what? dealer? What? No, I'm not I'm, a gangster? I'm a mob boss. About? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it brings it with you. Like, uh, you know, you take on that persona. And the cases I worked, I never came home. But when I came home, my wife would see, like, somewhat of the changes. Yeah. But she grew up in that lifestyle because her father was a homicide detective. So being the police, she knew that I was out there doing things. But picture that. I come in one day. I'm wearing a beautiful $4,000 Xenia suit. You know, I'm wearing <laughs> crocodile shoes. <laughs> You know, I'm driving a 500 Mercedes, and there's a, a Renault in the garage. Yeah. You know, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Diamond, five carats, solid gold Rolex, the crucifix. You know, my nails are done. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, exactly. So, you know, you put, you get on this roll, and the more you do, you become that yes. person. Because you have to become that person. You cannot not yeah. be that person, because yeah. that could be the mistake yeah. that can get you killed. And that's and, – and yeah, and, and that – that that level of mistake it's like i mean i imagine it's probably similar with like secret service right it's one thing if you botch a military operation we can try next time man if you're if you're protecting the president it's like one and done you can't fuck this up i imagine yeah. that's what it is is you're walking on that wire yes and exactly and, and you know tom you mentioned something i always keep this note to myself where it's so true about that it says bravery is not the absence of fear yes but the mastery of it. Yes. Okay. And that has always sticks with me because people like even in the military and all that, or what I did. And no, it, it's kind of, look, you're afraid. I'd be lying to you if I said to you, I was fearless. Yeah. That I wasn't worried that I was going to get killed or decapitated by cartel guys or family could have been. But of course it's fearful, but you cannot show them the fear. Mm. It's all about keeping it inside and keeping it real because if i said to you i wasn't afraid 
I have no business working undercover. Yeah. Because then I'm reckless. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, and, and it's going to wind up getting me killed or somebody killed. So we know how to control our fear. Yeah, I'm listen, I'm afraid of freaking spiders, for crying out loud. <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Matter, but around somebody the mob would see, I let that spider crawl all up and down yeah. my head like this. Yeah. Like, hey, what the hell, what's this, you know? Yeah. But if he wasn't there, I'm, I'm going, holy ah! shit, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hitting the high notes, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you're right though. It's I know the guy I have on here, the Delta Force guy, Dale Comstock. That's what he said is like when he was in the uh, when he was in the CIA, and he can't admit he was in the CIA, but when he was in the CIA training in Indig uh, in like Afghanistan, he always said he'd be like, you don't want fearless men. He's like they're because they're stupid. They'll walk out and just get shot in the head. He goes, you want the guys that it's a healthy dose of fear and they know how to Perfect. handle it. Or it's Hunter yes. S. Thompson, the writer said fear is a lot like it said fear is like a wild beast he said keep it in front of you and let it pull your cart but always keep a gun at it in case it turns back on you another great thing yeah it's well it's true it's true and i've met guys who are undercover and they're like they they like to get offended if they're not saying like one guy came up to me once because hey man i heard one of your things you're saying that you were worried you were fear yeah hell i was he goes oh you know like and he's full of shit yeah i mean yeah, he's lying there, there is no only superheroes are freaking yeah. fearless yeah. you know we all have it but yeah so getting on to to that is to, uh, becoming an fbi agent undercover or any undercover in an agency it's a breed that is something that we you're born that way and the undercover program helps you fine-tune by hearing other people's experiences like, for instance, what you just said about the bravery and all that, things like that sink in. And at times that you need to pull that tool from that tool shed, boom, you got it. Okay, it's the gun. Well, making sure fear turns on you, you get it going. So it, it, it's a very – the thing about it, too, when you work on the cover, you're really not viewed as one of the agents because many a times – I did a lot of undercover where I traveled the country – I had like these new agents that came out of Quantico in these little polo shirts and the little doctors. Yeah. I could smack these kids around and they're telling me, look, I gave you a, here's a script and I want you to do this. And I go, first of all, you can't operate out of a script. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could tell me what the parameters are, what you're looking to do. And if, guess what? If I don't get to it today, that's why God invented tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not going to put myself in arm's way, yeah. blowing the case because you want A, B, and C done. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You're out there. You're massaging the guy. Yeah. You're massaging the situation. You're trying to make it just right for you to hit him at the time it is, but not to commit something that's going to blow you away. You know? And, and this is so... Anyway, I would say to these people is that you can't plan this. You can't, uh, as an undercover, things are very fluid. They're constantly changing out there. There, uh, things could go wrong. Things could deviate. You got to be constantly. What you can't stick to a script. Yeah. Which some of these people do. And then what happens is they get into it. Goes well. I want you to do it. I said you want me to do it. Hey pal, get your creds out. Credentials. Yeah. And look at my creds. Tell me where your creds say anywhere that you, that I am not the same as you. Yeah. So you don't tell me. I'm yeah. not a snitch. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm an FBI agent, yeah, just like you, yeah. But what happens is some of these case agents confuse with themselves with that. So they, of course, yes. needless to say, I never took that undercover case 
Because if that guy was an asshole at this juncture, can you imagine what he would be yeah. at a later date? Yeah, yeah. So it, it happens where undercovers, and then what happened, and it happened in my case, if you decide to go up the ladder, which very early on, I think I had like six years in the bureau, I wanted to maybe pursue the management route. Now, why? I don't know. Maybe at that time, that's what I wanted to do. I was denied that. And I was denied because, quote, I had insufficient traditional investigative experience. Now, I was an agent. I was gathering evidence as an undercover, but yet I'm being denied administrative advancement. At that time, I was very angry and pissed off that I was denied. But in hindsight, the best thing that ever happened to me, because I would have never really gone into full-blown undercover agent. Yeah, it's it's a blessing in disguise, but right. it's yeah. I was gonna say, and he <laughs> shows how big my ego is and how arrogant I am. I'm like, oh, this podcast is kind of the same as if it's the same as going undercover in the Gambino family. But but what you said is scripting. When people are like, what are we gonna talk about? I always tell them, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, so for everyone listening, you and I, we what we what was yesterday. So we emailed on Saturday. We talked for what 15 minutes on the phone yesterday. Yes. And then we did today. This is all, this is all just happening. I don't do some people like questions, and I get it. Like, sure, okay, get an image to protect, but that's what this is, and it's the same thing though. It's like, yeah, it's it's live, it's flowing, it's shifting, and it's what are we doing? Are we moving from here to here to here to here? And it's you know, it's not just you know, all right, Jack, why don't you tell me about what was your scariest moment? You know, and we'll be back with these messages from our sponsors. No, fuck out of here, right? No, it's no, we're gonna talk about whatever, right? It's well, that, and those are the best because it's fluid. You're right. I mean, I've been on podcasts before and even radio shows that say, well, we'll we're going to ask. I said, listen, I'd rather you don't give me a script yeah. because I like to make it come out on my yeah. own. I don't want to have to have a rehearsed conversation yeah. because somehow you lose something on that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, you know, I like your concept because, again, you came very well recommended from a guy whom I like and respect. Thank you. Uh, I think Bruce. one of your guests, Bruce, Bruce Sackman, yeah. Sackman. And, uh, you know, I said absolutely to it. Like, you're right. We spoke very briefly. You never said, we're going to talk about ABC. It just happened. Whatever happens, we could sit here and twiddle our thumbs for all we could have known, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's what it's whatever we talk about. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you got to kind of flow with that because if you, if you don't, it gets so stale. It gets, it's almost like that quote. It's like, uh, it's like talking about like like love. It's like uh, love is a lot like a fart. If you force it, it's shit. But a shark. Yeah, right? Well, I feel <laughs> that's what the podcast is. If you force it, it's pure shit. So, but then, so to, to, to twist back, I was thinking as you get more and more into it, and you said like you come home and you're, you're wearing all this. One thing I was like, I almost got this image of like a, like a, ner- like a, like a sort of temporal inertia. Where it's like, um, you know, in those old, not old, I say old, right? It shows how young I am. But, like, I think of, like, uh, like 80s basketball games, like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. I'm just thinking of all the old, like, replays. The lights on the old cameras, they kind of, like, blur and they bend. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I kind of see that as with, like, your personality. It's, it's, like, blurring and bending, right? You're coming home and you're still this mob boss. And it's, like, kind of blurring off of you and it slowly fades away and then you become right husband father right it's but to jump from that did you ever get did it ever start to you you mentioned in in the interview 
on 60 minutes you're offering the guy jewelry ipods and then the greed kicks in does the greed ever kick in are you wearing all these diamonds and the watch and the mercedes and the suit at some point are you just like fuck it i'm a mob boss so you just like fuck it i'm gonna double agent sell out the fbi no no you know that that's a good question but it isn't although we've had guys who've gone to the dark side yeah how can you not we've had agents who've been undercover who have gotten in and we have also agents whose life have been upside down they have developed drinking problems and not just agents i'm talking about police officers as well uh guys who resort to going back to their old haunts because they were kind of respected in these places. Guys whose marriage has been affected, guys who've taken on all kinds of issues. Even a couple of guys have gone into stealing uh, from stores that have been caught. The only thing that I got bad out of coming out of Undercover was the fact that I love to eat. So it was, I got a taste of the good food and yeah. the good life of uh. eating. But hey, you know what? It was weird because what you were mentioning, it's true. The Bureau, not only was I selling stuff posing myself as a fence or as a guy in, in the mod case i had a crew of mariel boatlift cubans who were doing home invasions from drug deals so their goods like rolex watches diamonds furs etc i was able to tell sell to the mob guy that i was putting the captain at a very discount price and his guys sold her for a higher price so i came out like I was a, I was an earner, a guy yeah, was making yeah, money, yeah. you know, but I did have to, of course, I had the obligatory rings and stuff, but as I switch roles, like if I went to become a drug dealer, I became a different person. I would then wear what they have, uh, these beads, they were different of Santeria. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Santeria, it's the occult uh, mm-hmm. religion, which a lot of these Cuban drug traffickers and Hispanic drug traffickers adhere to. So I became that. I would wear a guayavera, very expensive silk guayavera. I would wear this Juvenia solid gold watch. So I became that. I would have my earring on, which you didn't wear an earring when you were with the mob. That's not, you don't do that. So, and of course, I couldn't grow my mustache at the time, but a beard. But that's what you do. You assume the role, and these were the uniform, you know, that, and every time I did that, I became that person on my way to doing it, because I had apartments all through the city, different cases, I became that person. I would put the Latin salsa music on, yeah, you know? Yeah. When I was with the Italian, I put some operas on, because I love some of the arias from Puccini. Uh, and then if I was doing, so it was always becoming that person. So when I finally arrived and I opened that door, I was Manny Fernandez. I was Jose Montoya. I was Jack Falcone. Yeah. You, you see, so you you have, and you have to think that way. You have to think of, of who your character is be, and be careful. Unfortunately, every, and I, what I did was I worked multiple cases and a lot of them were simultaneously, mm-hmm. which is a big no-no and I don't recommend anybody to do. But yet I was probably the only agent doing that. So I did these multiple cases with multiple characters. And in hindsight, yeah, they were great for the FBI, but it wasn't great for me. No, I mean, I, I it took a lot of me. It took a lot. There were times I'm carrying five phones, five different identities. I'm talking Spanish here. I'm talking Italian like a wise guy. I'm talking like a dirty guy here. 
So all of these things all, and it were nonstop. There was no day off. Yeah. So that's why when I did come home, which was very, very, very rare, you know, I, and one of the things that I always give credit to is for my wife. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that she endured this, the fact that she supported this, is made my job safer and I think successful. And by safer, I mean is if you get in a situation with your spouse, when you're fighting about this, because I've missed, I've missed weddings. Yeah. I've missed all of the events we could do, some holidays as well. But when you miss that, and, and if your spouse just starts beating you up about it, like he did this, how dare you, now you're going to do your undercover with your head all confused. Yes. And you can't have that. You can't have the confused word about it. You've got to have a clear head because you're working. That's yeah. You're a method actor. You're out there doing it. You don't want to have disturbance about what's going on and feeling bad so a lot of my success and i think it's undercovers always do go to the spouse whether male or female because they're the ones who kind of support you and don't get on you now once the case is over it's a different story yeah you yeah, know yeah now where are you going who are you talking to yeah. what are you doing yeah now now you're not off the hook <laughs> yeah you're right it's because you can't have your head fucked up going into work like that your home life has exactly. to be stable you and it, listen and i've seen guys do that with issues and you, you those are things you cannot have you yeah. know and uh, and that slip could really you know take you over the top yeah. you know yeah it's yeah speaking of allergies i'm are you like me? Today. I got allergies all over the place. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm falling apart. I don't know how I've lived to 30. I should, <laughs> should have been dead a while ago. Hey, listen, I'm surprising people every day. I just hit 68 years old, all right? So let's... Uh, I saw that, yeah. I was like... I wasn't good. I wasn't even... The, uh, Vegas had me not make it checking out of 55. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's brutal. It's... <laughs> yeah, man, but I guess... How, now, how does... You said that you had contingencies, right? So if they say, "Hey, you know, was it Omerta the 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 blood the pact?" Code of silence, right? Yeah, the the yeah cement of blood, what the Nazis called it. If they're gonna say, you know, you're gonna go whack this guy, and you said, you, you know, you had it all planned out, you're gonna have a heart attack, right? And it's, did you have other contingencies? Like, what if you start losing your cool? What if, what if you know? anxiety comes up is it just even though you're not an anxious person even though you said you like you know you lived for this did you just plan for it as a contingency i don't you know i hope my house never gets flooded but you know you buy flood insurance just in case did you ever have yeah. something do you have like a valium or do you have like a, a shot <laughs> but i'm a serious question because i mean like no, fighter no, pilots they have stimulants it, yeah okay there's a lot to dig in there okay the, yeah yeah the yeah first part um the first part um oh my god what was repeat the first oh, part oh, oh, sorry yeah you know i i tend to do that i rattle off no, no that was yeah. good uh, i had it in my thought then yeah, i went yeah the other way put it over omerta blood blood uh, oh, blood right yes right now one of the things a big fallacy and i guess hollywood is promoted you don't have to kill somebody to get straightened out okay okay you could be called upon to kill somebody or you could be called upon to be part of the hit so it would be, Tommy, you dig a hole. Okay. Okay. Jack, you be the get getaway car. Joey, I want you to be the block car. And you go dig another hole. So that's part of it. The shooters, they have shooters to handle that. What they were looking for and have always been looked for are earners. Guys who are going to make money 
So the money flows always, always in the bureau goes up. Mm-hmm. Never does it come down. So they want these earners to go out there, shake down businesses, uh, put companies on on um, on record where they're going to give Christmas bonuses, where they're going to do payments, where they're going to be able to put money in their pocket. That's what it's all about. Now, they want to whack somebody, they have those guys. But half of those guys, they, they couldn't even add two and two together. Yeah. So they get to do is whack people because they're just psychopaths who would do that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But, but it's not a criteria that you got to whack somebody. There are guys who've never whacked anybody who, ha- who are in the mob for years. Now, getting back to the, the second point of it all was that what are my plans, okay? Um, I talked about that on 60 Minutes, that, you know, if that ever came up, I would, of course, have – I had a good excuse, which will bring us to part two in a minute. But what happened is I would feign that I'm having a heart attack. Hey, look, it's going down, and two things would happen. Either they would take me to the hospital and I would be able to make a phone call because I had it all prearranged with the case agent, this guy named Nat Parisi okay. and Chris Munger, that I would they would know that, hey, go find this guy, track him down, and stop whatever is going on, okay? Or number two, they could just open the car door, throw my fat ass out, and I'd be dead with a heart attack. Yeah. So we don't really know. So because, you know, with them, like, hey, we got to whack the guy down with him. Yeah. He's yeah, having a heart attack. Guy. Hey, have a nice day, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Dead weight. <laughs> so any yeah. of those things could have could have happened. But the contingency plans, the, uh, that we didn't have outside of communication. Like every once in a while, if I was in a place where there was a social hall or I was at a restaurant for an inordinate amount of the usual time that I was in there, I would get a call from the guy outside posing as my gumad, my girlfriend. And he would say, hey, how you doing? I go, oh, yeah, baby, listen, I might be here a little longer. I, I could see you later. Probably another hour, sweetie, okay? Well, I'm talking to a guy uglier than me, you know? <laughs> well, well hey, I think, I think all guys are uglier than you because you're, yeah. you're beautiful, Jack. You're beautiful, <laughs> but, right? It's, but so, yeah. So I would do that, you know what I mean, to cover myself now. What you said, the second part is so true. That happened with me is what happened is I joined the union, which was a big thing for the FBI to do a, a dirty union, local 305, where the reason you joined the union is for your medical coverages for you and your wife. Mm-hmm. So the captain corrupted this union. And what happened is he says, look, guys, I want to take everybody in to get a, a, a physical. So, of course, you go to a, a mob-friendly doctor. So, unlike you and I, when we now go to a doctor, you sit and you wait for an hour or two, right, reading stupid old magazines, you walk right in. So, we walked in, five guys, we get five sitting around, the doctor goes, all right, guys, you go here, go there. Well, they found out that I have atrial fibrillation. Okay. Now, the FBI never knew that. Now, I get this fibrillation, I had to know what is an irregular heartbeat, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, of course, they gave me what they call a halter monitor, which at that time was big, and they plug you up like an EKG. Mm-hmm. And the old man was with me. The old man, I mean the captain of the Gambinos. And he says to me, look, Jackie, I'm going to the diner. You handle what you got to handle here and meet me at the diner. So now I'm getting worried because I'm hearing atrial fibrillation. You're already regular beat. Am I going down? My family, you know, I'm like fluttered. But then I said, I got to stay the course 
let's do this test. I'm doing the way any doctor would, right? So doctor says to me, look, Jack, whenever time you're doing and you change something you're doing, like if you walk, you ride walk for five minutes, uh, you were sleeping for eight hours, whatever the case, mm-hmm. you jot that down. So he wires me up. I go to the diner. I'm a nervous wreck. I walk in. We sit down. Right, guys eating, you name it, you know, sausage and bacon and eggs and whatever. And all of a sudden, the old man smacks the table real hard. And he says, we got a problem. And everybody's looking at us. I'm probably maybe seven, eight guys. He goes, what's going on? He goes, we got a rat among us. So then I go, what, what, what do you mean we got a rat? What's going on? Everybody's saying, who is he? I'll kill the fucking guy. Yeah. Who is he? You know, so he gets up, he's walking around, he walks by me, right? And he says, it's Jackie boy. He rips my shirt and I got these freaking suction cups of oh, this fuck. marker thing on. Yeah. And I did a classic <laughs> Jackie Gleason, humana, humana, humana. I said, what are you, Craig, what are you doing? So he goes, you're the rat. You've been recording this, haven't you? And I go, right, what are you talking about? You know what's going on. And then he smiled, like, laugh. And he goes, ah, Jackie got a bad ticker. The doctor put that on. I'm fucking with you, Jackie oh. boy. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, like, totally trained, right? So little did he know that I actually was wearing a recorder, but I had it down my shorts. But <laughs> that tape is priceless, okay? I'm going to sell that tape on eBay, Jesus by the way. God but, in heaven. <laughs> so, but wait a minute. The next day I go back. And I give the doctor the machine and he puts it in the computer. It comes back. You see a straight line. Then you see beep. Exactly. And he goes, holy shit, what happened over here? And I go, what happened over there? Break the palm and call me a rat. That's what happened over there. Holy shit. So you talk about contingency. Now what happens is now I'm worried. The story goes on. I says, I got to get this check. The guy goes, listen, I need you to do an echocardiogram. I need you to do this. I'm booking you. Uh, for the next day, unlike you, six months from now, I got the next day, you're going into Manhattan, yeah. you're going to do an echo. I go to the echo, I'm sitting there, thank God I went by myself, because I was my apartment was in Manhattan, this place was in Manhattan. So Greg goes, you want me to go with you? I go, no, no, Jack, no, no, Greg, that's fine. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, they plug me around, and I see these busy bees running around, you know, and I'm going, oh, this doesn't look very good, with all these nurses and doctors. And the guy says to me, hey, doctor comes over, he goes, hey, you feel anything? And I go, no, why? He goes, well, your heart rate was like 300 or whatever it was, some astronomical number. So he goes, you got to go right into the emergency room. And I go, what are you talking about? So he goes, yeah, your heart rate. He says, and I, w- I really didn't feel a thing. So I said, wait a minute. So now I'm in the quandary. What do I do? This is a case that I'm working, okay? This is not my life. I said, if I call my wife, I know the answer to that, okay? If I call the case agent and tell them what's going on, they're going to pull the plug, okay? So I go to the emergency room by myself. Of course, I couldn't call the old man because then all the guys would come, and I'm more worried about Jack Garcia, the agent, not Garcia, the the mobster, you know? So I go in, they give me all this medication, and all of that boom, it gets controlled. Now, the next day, I, I, of course, called up the case agent. I told him, look, I'm okay now. It just have an ongoing atrial fib. It got to be checked. So I told my wife and I told him, he says, well, look, I got to tell, I got to go on record with this. 
I said, look, do me a favor. Don't go on record with this yet. Okay, let it play out. We don't want to, I know what the Bureau is going to do. They're just going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. We make so many strides. We're getting too close. Uh, as long as I'm taking the medication that I'm supposed to be taking, what's the difference? Uh, so we kept that hush while I continued with that. So that just kind of shows that the contingency plans yeah. could be out the window yeah. when reality kicks in. Yeah. Just like another example, if you don't mind telling you another example. Go, of please, please, go, go, go. Was if you remember, you may be a little too young for this, but they used to have Nextel phones. Mm-hmm. Nextel was a walkie-talkie phone. You familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Right. So I gave the old man a Nextel phone, which, of course, we wired. Yeah. All right. So he had a new toy. And his toy was he would Nextel all day long. Jackie boy, where are you? Hey, Joey, where are you? Where are you? And he loved it. And he put it in volume so everybody could hear. Yeah. Right? So anyway, one time he calls me. I'm down in Florida because every time I went to work another case, I would say I got a score down there. And then I would come back. Sometimes I give him some money. Other times it didn't go through. So I'm down in Florida. He calls me up. Hey, Jackie boy, and I'm working with these uh, Colombian cartel guys, you know? So I put it on mute, didn't answer him, come back up. He says, I want to see you right now. So I went to see him early in the morning, and he says, um, I come here to pick up the phone yesterday. He says, Greg, I was down there in Florida, you know. He says, I don't give a shit where you were. When I call you, you answer me. You understand? I go, well, what's the matter? He goes, how do I know you weren't arrested last night? How do I know you ain't cooperating? I said, you got to be kidding me. Because from now on, I don't care what you're doing, you pick up that phone. I says, all right, you got it, boss. You know, no problem. So months go by. My mother-in-law passes away. Loved the woman, right? We're at the wake. Of course, I can't tell the mobsters this is my real life. Yeah, because they yeah. would send flowers. They would come in and show their respect. Yeah. And can you imagine, like, Aunt Matilda sitting next to, uh, you know, <laughs> Vinny bag of donuts yeah. and he's going, hey, how do you know this guy? How do you know? I go, oh, Matthew, you, yeah, he's an FBI agent. FBI agent. Nice to... Shit, that, that'll be a, go wrong, that funeral right? will turn into a much bigger funeral real quick. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I hear that beautiful voice and he had that gravelly voice. Jackie boy, pick up the phone. So what do you do? You pick up the phone. Jesus. What do you do? I picked up the phone. I went outside. Walked right out. <laughs> because I know if I didn't pick up the phone, it would set me back. Well, yeah. that and it would set me back on all the progress I okay. made. Okay. Now, did I want to pick up the phone? Hell no. no. And this is where your spouse comes into play. She did not, um, she understood. So I was grateful for that. But think about that. He, he, when you're working undercover full time, you're undercover all the time. You never know it's going to happen. So I had to do a dance of making sure that I couldn't release that I was at a funeral home because why am I not there? There was so much accountability that I, I really didn't want to. I had I separated my lives. Was it tough? Yes. I went to dinner when waiters tripped themselves over to treat me, Jack Falcone, because I knew Greg De Palma and I was in his crew. And when I went as Jack Garcia, I went like all of us do. You wait in the bar until your table is ready. Yeah. You yeah. work like a regular schmo. Yeah, the, the okay? yeah, the end of good. So I went from VIP to 
to whatever. We'll get to you. Your table's not ready yeah, yet, sir. Yeah. And then the table is ready right by the freaking kitchen. Yes. So that was uh, the treatment. But these are things that, you know, um, that happened to you was undercover. And, and the change in life that goes on. And I went from wearing a Rolex watch. My wife bought me a Rolex watch when I grabbed when I graduated, when I retired yeah. from the FBI, because she knew I had one, but yeah. not the president. But hey, you know what? It's okay. Rolex. I mean, Rolex. I wore it for years, and then all of a sudden, I got to get like a Seiko or yeah. a Timex, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I went for my, uh, you know, so it, it was all kinds of adjustment yeah. uh, to get out of it. But what felt great is that the phones don't ring. Now I don't bother checking half the time what messages are. Back then, it was always constantly phones going off, voices here, not picking up. But the difference was when you deal with the mob, Tom, is a lot of accountability. Okay, there's a lot of deference that has to be shown to mobsters. Where when I was working the dope cartels, if you call me, the way they do business, if you call me, I'll get around to calling you. Or I'll text you certain codes that have been pre-programmed that they know their meanings. But when I do see you, I don't get that, why didn't you pick up the phone? I don't get where were you? Because they have their own little style. I don't have them anything to know. We're just a business deal. So when you deal with the mob, all of that accountability is important in the mob world. They need to know where you are, who are you, where did you come from? And I was very fortunate that I, through the help of the FBI, created an airtight case about me that could have gone any type of scrutiny. And even I took it a next level up when I was in Florida working a case, I said, you know what? I told them the story that my parents died a few years back and that I was from Miami, Florida. So let me ask you this, Tom, you're down with the old man. And all of a sudden he says to you, uh, hey, let's show respects to your family. Let's go to the cemetery, drop some flowers off. What are you going to do? Oh, fuck. Well, I found the Mr. and Mrs. Falcone in Florida. I would take you to that place. I would put the flowers and hope that the real family would not come. But I wanted to cross yeah. every T and yeah. dot every I. Yeah. Because that's the way that they work. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, you want to make sure that there's no stone left unturned. And just like getting back when I was with the old man, Greg De Palma. Greg De Palma was a celebrity in New York. And why he used to own the Westchester Premier Theater, which was a place where Frank Sinatra played in the 70s. Sammy Davis, yeah. Dean Martin, yeah. Bette Midler, Dionne Warwick, Diane Ross. You look up uh, on eBay, look up Westchester Premier Theater, and you can see all the programs of all the people. That was a mob joint. Okay. That was owned by the mob. That was before Atlantic City came in, that they owned this place. And it's also the place where the famous photograph when Frank Sinatra is around these mobsters that showed up at a Senate hearing and his arm is around Greg De Palma, yeah. the guy I was with. Yeah. And Paul Castellano, who was the eventual boss who was killed by Gotti, Carlo Gambino, Jimmy the Weasel, Fradiano. All of these guys that was taken in the back of the concert that came back to haunt Frank, whether he was a patsy for the mob or was he a patron saint? Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. that that came out. But the, the, the Westchester premiere, so every time we went out, 
you will get these distinguished, well-dressed, you know, gentlemen, you know, uh, coming up and says, hey, Mr. De Palma, I loved your club. I went there and I saw Dion Warwick. I saw Sonny and Cher. I saw Elvis. And they would come up and then Greg would stand there and he would ask for a card, your business card. And when they, and as they're talking to the guy, literally kissing the mobster's ass, I'm going to myself, run for the hills. What are you doing here? This guy's going to try to get in your pocket. Yeah. So sure enough, after he left, he would say, oh, this guy does it. And he would store them. He would carry with them about this many cards that he would pick up from fans, people who, who loved what he ran at this Westchester Premier Theater. But his thing was, how do I get to put their money exactly in their pocket? Because there's one thing about mobsters. They're excellent in detecting the weak and those that could be subjected to extortion plots. And Greg De Palma was a master at it. Jesus. It's, and I was going to say, yeah, it's even hairier with Sinatra because then you got Sinatra hanging out with JFK. And it's, that the whole well, the whole thing gets a little hairy, huh? Well, listen, Frank Sinatra was a regular. I, I saw all the pictures of that Greg De Palma had. Mm-hmm. He appeared, I think, four times at the Westchester premiere. One time they scammed him. They told him that he was going to get the, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of a special medal that it's giving to a secret kind of society. And it was all a setup. And then he said, uh, okay, uh, what else could I do? So they set up a uh, an event that Frank appeared and all that money that's supposed to go to Frank, Frank went into the mob's pocket. Uh, and it was called, it's a very old traditional, uh, uh, oh my God, it skips me. Anyway, I, I know I wrote it in my book, but that's the kind of thing is that they are just looking for people to put their hands in their pocket. And Frank was one of them, Dion Warwick, uh, Diana Ross was on there. So the who's who, I remember going there when I was in uh, college. I went there on a date. It was like the hottest thing to do. All the bands would go. Yeah. And then later on, who knew that I would take down that guy, you know? Good Lord. That's, yeah, it's, to, to, to circle way back around, I don't know why it just popped into my head. You said the. I remember you saying cash flow always goes up. Does that mean the FBI supplying you with cash is always going up? No, that means or as an the earner, mob, as an yeah. earner. Okay. The way the mob operates, uh, this is probably for the. Oh, uh, you meant okay. Higher, you meant going up the chain. I was oh, okay. I thought you chain. meant. I thought you meant constantly having to up the amounts. No, no, no. Okay, what okay. would happen is, as you know, let's say if if I'm a, what they originally do, the mobsters, they put a guy on record. Mm-hmm. Okay, on record means that now you're under our umbrella, our protection. Then you move to an associate, which is usually on record, you are a connected guy or associate. Then when you get straightened out and you go through this ceremony, you become a soldier. And that soldier reports to a captain. So each family has a whole bunch of captains under them are soldiers and associates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you have the administration, which is the concierge. There is the underboss, and then there is the boss. So now, if a associate, let's say because of the help or somehow an introduction to something makes money, he greases the soldier. Soldier, in turn, gives money to the captain. The captain, in turn, kicks it up on top. Now, the guy I was with was very, very savvy because he knew 
unlike a lot of guys who don't want to let go of their money, but you have to, because, hey, listen, this is what the life is. They, they have to. He gave a little more because he felt that by giving a little more, if he stepped on his crank, that was going to help him. And I think that was a magic formula how it helped Greg throughout his life. Okay. He always loved to give more to the board, made himself like valuable, yeah. you know? Okay. So, but it's always idea of kicking money up. You, you can't hang out with the mob just because you're a funny guy, you're a witty guy, you're an intelligent guy. You hang out with the mob and you're protected by the mob if you're making money for the mob. Absolutely. If you, you have some kind of use for them. If you don't have a use for them, then you're just a civilian. Yeah, you know, get out but of here. these exactly these guys who are associates, a lot of them aspire to become made men. But not everybody wants to become a made man, nor does everybody who's an associate ever gets to become a made man. To become a made man, usually a soldier and a captain have to agree that you're a guy who plays by the rules. And by that I mean you kick money up. By that I mean you keep your mouth shut. You're a guy who is uh uh, who could do jail time. You're a guy who's capable of violence. So if you have those makings and you're a guy who is trusted, respected, and proven, then they put your name on the list and then you have a swearing-in ceremony if everybody agrees, and then you become a made man. And mostly what that does, it lets you operate with a brand. Now you you have standing in the criminal world. And then if you have time and you are proven to be a guy who is able to do a lot of things. You may get a promotion to a captain. Captains are very powerful uh, position. And then of course comes the boss and all of that. But it's all about the making money. The more money you make and the more money you kick up, the more influence you have in that particular family. Okay. Okay. So the FBI now, I guess actually it might still kind of work what I was saying. So does that mean that, the FBI is giving you more because it's like, hey, this is we're essentially buying Jack uh, bargaining chips. You're buying like social standing. Well, yes and no. How they work is, like I said, if if I got along with Greg De Palma, the mm-hmm. captain. Mm-hmm. In fact, I became his driver. Okay, <sighs> and I was very personal with his family and all of that. I, I I was in with him, but also I did the right thing by him. Now. Being an FBI agent, you can't be involved in doing crime. Yeah. So we gave the illusion that I was committing crime, and that illusion with those Cuban Mario guys that I had in Miami that were doing, you know, stick-ups, you know, smashing grabs, they were making money. So what we would do is we would go to the Bureau's forfeiture vault, yeah. and there's all these watches we got from drug dealers yep. and all this stuff that we uh, we got through forfeiture, and then I represented them as me mm. getting that stuff okay, or my crew. So then I would then give it to them at a discount price to show that, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a kind of guy who is uh, doing, you know, doing what mobsters yeah. are supposed to be. And I'm generating, I'm earning money and I'm making money. Like, for instance, I'll give you an example. It was a Rolex with all diamonds. And he said, uh, how much you want from him? I said, well, uh, you know what? I'll give you, give me five Gs. I know a reason why I'm not going to my fence because it's too distinguishable up here, down there in Florida. And I don't want it, you know, eventually catching up. I'm here in New York. No problem. I'll move it. 
he moves it for five. He moved it for 15. So he puts 10 G's in his pocket. So, you know, now I don't have to give him money, but I gave him the watch for 5,000. So we made money. Now, every once in a while, I would give him an envelope and said, look, I, I, I did pretty good on something here. Here's two grand. You know, here's a taste, we used to say. Here's a little taste for you. Now, what was funny about Greg Palmer and how the minds of mobsters work, I drove him around. So we came around collection time. We would go see this guy, he put the envelope here. We go see that guy, he put the envelope there. We see this guy in the pack. By the time I got around, he's loaded up with envelopes, this guy, right? And then he would say to me, as I drove him home, he goes, Jackie boy, he goes, I'm hurting. I got no, I don't even have two cents to put together. Who is he kidding? I drove him. I saw the envelope. Oh, fucker. Right? So, of course, you know, I would say, what do you need? Somebody, yeah, I could use a, I could use a hunch, which was a hundred. So I say, hey, you go. I give him a hundred. Now, I, it's the nature of the beast. Yes. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. it's what they do. Yeah. It's something that it's all about making money yeah. with them. So to him, I got it like a chuckle out of it. But, but, you know, it's what they do. I remember another time I went with him to frame some pictures that he got from Leroy Neiman that he stole from Leroy Neiman because I took him to, to Leroy Neiman's house. Oh. Anyway, he stole these pictures, so he's having them framed so he could sell it for like an outrageous amount to some of his uh, rich buddies or those people that kiss his ass at a restaurant, right? Yeah. So anyway, he's going out the store. There are these little... Webkins, these little dolls of dough. So he's standing there and he's putting them in his pocket. Go, what are you doing? He says, what do you think I'm doing? He says, well, we'll, we'll buy him. What is it, five bucks each? So he goes, no, Jackie boy. He goes, that's not what it's all about. I can't help myself. This is what we are. Yeah. You know, it's the thought of stealing. He did the same thing to me at uh, this uh, clothing store in New York that is well-recognized. I took him in there and he's stealing ties and socks. And I said, what are you doing? He just can't help themselves. They're born thieves and this is what they do. Yeah. It's, it's, my, it, it's a whole psychological study about the mentality of mobsters and how they are. Now, I know a lot of mobsters are not like that. This just happened to be him. Yeah. But there you have a mixture of everything. You got some guys who are generous, some guys who are tight, and some guys who rob you all the time, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's Jesus. I was gonna say, yeah, it's also it's probably a bit of a power move too, right? I'm hurting, I'm hurting, and he he knows full well that you know that he's got money. It's it's a power move, and he yeah, knows exactly. that you're gonna say, "Gotcha." Here's a yeah. Here's a hundred, right? Right. Yeah. And he doesn't need that hundred because no. everything he went every time we went out to dinner, somebody paid the meal. Yeah. I pay the meal. He never went in his pocket. He was like that Geico commercial of the alligator. Yeah. He has those little arms. He yeah, never yeah. went in his pocket. Yeah. He, he also used to say, crime don't pay. That's why I don't pay. Crime don't pay. Well, joke's on <laughs> him, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. end, he went up doing jail time. Yeah. I think he got sentenced to 12 years, and then yeah. he died in prison. Yeah. But he was, a, he was a tough guy, and he loved to talk, and we in the FBI loved to listen. So it was a great match. I mean, we could have gone a different direction, but this guy was the gift that kept on giving. I mean, he, he would tell me where the meeting was to drive him. The next day, I put the surveillance on them. Then he would tell me what the meeting was about. You know, it, it was uh, a, a really fascinating uh, 
relationship. And people always ask me, well, you know, were you close to him? Because he, he was close to me, I thought. No, because I, I knew what he was, yeah. you know? I mean, I've done a lot of uh, guys as undercovers that I've actually tried to talk out of doing bad stuff. Like I talked to them with him. I said, you sure you want to do this? I said, you know, you're moving into a different territory. And I think I even wrote that in my book about one guy in, in Atlantic City. Like, what? are you sure? You know, this is not what you do, man. Why are you getting involved? Oh, I could make some money. I said, make money some other way. Yeah. And then when they get locked up, you said, he said, well, I told you not to do it. Yeah. You know, because it's something that, you know, where Greg the Palmer, he's all he ever wants to do. That's all he ever wanted to be is a criminal. And he really believed in the in the core of what a gangster is. He believed he was true Cosa Nostra. Yeah. That's what he was. He lived that life because that's what he only life he knew. Yeah. And yeah, didn't want anything else. I was thinking, yeah, it's like the end of Goodfellas, right? You order a, what was it? You ordered like, you're Alfredo and you get like microwave lasagna. He goes, you got to stand in line like every other schmuck, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, he, that, that whole world, is, it really is a an amazing world, the way it works. And, you know, and, and also they, they do a lot of side dealings. And even though, we know it's a criminal secret society. It's all about the money and it's yeah. all about getting over and a lot of the rules that are not written, but that are known, like, uh, you know, are violated all the time. Like it says you can't cheat on your wife. Well, forget about that. Yeah. Number one, they said you can rob from other friends. They do that all the time. There's always breaking up rules, but they do have some interesting rules. Like for instance, what I've always fascinated is how they talk to one another. So let's say, Tommy, you're a member of the uh, Colombo crime family, sure. okay? One of the five families in New York. And I'm a member of the Gambinos, okay? Now, there's another guy, we'll say Joey Pots and Pants, okay? Now, Joey Pots and Pants, you wanna talk to him. Now, you as a made guy know that he's a made guy, but you've never been introduced. So you can't go up to him and go, hey, Joey, you remember me? I know so-and-so. That's a secret criminal society. That doesn't work that way. So you're going to need to find the guy, if you want to talk to Joey Potts and Pants, a guy like me who knows you and knows Joey. So then I would then bring the three of us together, and I would say, Tommy, I want you to meet Joey. He's a friend of ours. Okay. That's telling you you're part of us. Okay. Now, if you weren't a made guy, and that tells you you could talk to you because you're part of the secret criminal society. But if I said to you, Tommy, I want you to meet Joey. He's a friend of mine. That tells you, be careful what you tell this guy. He's okay. not one of us. He could be trusted, but he ain't one of us. Made guys who take the oath have that, have that protection, so to speak. They are all talk among themselves and exclude even those faithful associates who for years have been associates. They're not part of that inner circle. So those introductions that would say, when I used to go around, I would go, I want you to meet two other monsters that I would meet. Yeah, this is Jackie Boy. He's a friend of mine. So right away, the guy knew. He says, come here, Greg. I want to talk to you. So he pulls the guy over. So they talk mob business. But it was good for me because then when Greg got back in his seat, 
say, oh, this guy wants me to do this and that. He wasn't supposed to be saying that, Greg De Palma, but he did. So that's the identification process that they undergo. So I think personally that's pretty clever yeah. to like, yeah. you know, where you don't go talking to people, you don't, you haven't been introduced. So you got to keep your mouth shut in that world. Yeah. Um, I got to go piss real quick. We're at an hour and 15 minutes. I know you said that's, that's, that's your time. I can keep talking if you'd love to keep, I, I'm having well, why a don't we do it on the second trip. You want to do okay, we'll do the second trip. trip. All right. We'll wrap this one up then. Yeah. I'm, I told you I'm, I'll sit here for hours. I'll, I've kept I've kept one guy for four and a half hours. He was a military oh, shit, interrogator. Oh, no, you got me beat. I got errands to run for my wife. Yeah, I had a military interrogator, and I think I interrogated him. But it's <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I, I still have a ton of fucking questions. Um, so oh, we'll for save your it for another day. Well, I'm gonna get your book, and we can do all this later. I'll, I'll text you. We can figure out the next episode. Let's definitely do another episode because I this is like this was just off the top of the head this was going now, now I'm going to do some research I want to get some questions and we're going to go right. into it and um, All right. yeah thanks for doing it man that was hey, awesome likewise. thank you so much thank you pleasure Tommy and we'll talk soon alright yes sir thank you so much God bless stay safe and till next time Jack Garcia alrighty alright my man you stay safe <laughs> right, brother. brother take care stay yep. safe but you too okay bye bye Well, I popped off, then you go get me.